Welcome to the new Docs in a Pod presented by WellMed. Over the next half hour, Docs in a Pod will educate you about the health and wellness of adults everywhere. Co-hosts Dr. Tamika Perry and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron will share information to improve your health and well-being. And now, here are Ron Aaron and Dr. Tamika Perry. Hey everybody, welcome to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have you on board. Filling in today for our co-host, Tamika Perry, we're delighted to welcome nurse practitioner Olivia Rahman. She's at the Wellman at Ninth Avenue Clinic in St. Petersburg, Florida. Olivia earned her nursing degree at Florida State University in Tallahassee, then earned her master's degree in nursing at the University of South Florida in Tampa. She's board certified in family practice. Olivia grew up in the state of Michigan and got to Florida as quickly as she could going to undergrad school at Florida State. She was a show singer as a kid, traveled in a competitive show choir, and still sings. She's got two fur babies, a yellow lab and a golden retriever. And Olivia, great to have you pinch hitting again. Good to see you again. Hi, Ron. Good to see you. Thanks for the intro. (laughs) Well, we're happy to have you on board. And and one of the things that uh, we're delighted to talk about today, and I suspect uh, you deal with this with patients all the time, is tips for maintaining brain health, so-called brain boosters. Sure, yeah. I mean, something I like to do, too, just for myself. To, um, well, I, I found the solution. I, I eat broccoli. That? I eat a ton um, of broccoli. That's it. I eat broccoli that's the only breakfast, tip. <laughs> lunch, and dinner. Broccoli is the key, and we'll find out how far <laughs> off I am when we welcome our guest, <laughs> Dr. Amber Stevens. Uh, Dr. Stevens is a physician at the Optum Main Clinic in Dunnett in Florida, earned her medical degree from Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia, completed her residency at Bayfront Medical Center in St. Petersburg, and she's board certified in family medicine. And Dr. Stevens, it's so good to see you again. Good to be here again. When you talk about brain boosters, all of us are looking for that answer. I, I, I plead guilty to being 80 years old and want to fight off the odds, which say, I've got a 50-50 chance of developing dementia tomorrow morning. What do I do? What are brain boosters? So I think the first thing, most people really think that uh, when we talk about this, that we're looking for some sort of magic bullet. And, you know, they want to know what's the newest and hottest supplement? What can they take every day? What's the quick fix, the the easy out? And um, (laughs) unfortunately... That doesn't exist. Um, what I do talk to patients a lot about is lifestyle. And you can't out supplement a bad lifestyle. You can't out supplement lack of activity. You can't out supplement not getting enough sleep. <laughs> so, my eating a ton of broccoli a day may not be the answer. It might be part of the answer. I mean, oh. if you really like broccoli, but. It wouldn't be the only answer. Let's put it that way. And by choosing a vegetable like broccoli, uh, am I at least going down the right path when it comes to eating? I saw a piece in the New York Times the other day, which absolutely hailed the benefits of a Mediterranean diet. Absolutely. So uh, what I do is I generally talk to patients, and, and I do this with all different health issues because it, what's good for the heart, what's good for your blood sugar is good for your brain. Okay. So your brain is obviously a neurological organ, but it is highly dependent on blood supply. And 
what is good for your blood supply of your heart is good for the blood supply of your brain. So the same advice really travels across multiple facets of medicine. Uh, Mediterranean diets are great. They are not the, uh, what people think of when they're thinking of, you know, pasta and bread and everything else. I think that's a, um, a misnomer, but, um, Mediterranean diets tend to be heavy on, uh, like fatty fish, fish oil based, uh, items, uh, like salmon, salmon, uh, lots of green leafy vegetables, cruciferous vegetables. There's your broccoli. <laughs> and then when they start talking about, you know, grains and carbohydrates, they're really looking at more of those whole food nutrition items. So we're talking about sweet potatoes, quinoa, uh, fruit. We're, we're not talking about bread and pasta and the things that are highly processed and frankly, turn into sugar fairly quickly. Uh, plus the high produce has a lot of great antioxidants and anytime we can reduce oxidative stress on the body, that will reduce inflammation, which in turn will reduce your risk for cardiovascular disease as well as cerebrovascular disease. All right. I need you to tell me, tell me in just a minute, and I'm sorry to interrupt what antioxidants are, but I want to take a moment for those who may have just joined us to let you know you're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Dr. Amber Stevens. You find her at Optum in the great state of Florida, in Dunedin, Florida. And our co-host today, pinch hitting for Dr. Tamika Perry, is nurse practitioner Olivia Raman. And when you say, Dr. Oxidants, antioxidants are important, what are they? Okay, so the easiest way to explain it is if you think about a piece of fruit or an avocado um, and you've opened it up and you've cut it, you know, everyone thinks about the apple they've left open to the air. Okay, so oxidase, oxygen is in our, in our air. We need it to breathe. We need that for our iron and everything else. But when oxygen is exposed to tissues, like, you know, like I said, apple is an easy way to think about it it starts to affect the surface area. So it you turns think about brown. It, right. So, and that's the easiest way. Now, if you were to coat the inside of that apple with an antioxidant of sorts, you know, people will do lemon juice or something like that. That will actually help protect the flesh of the apple and prevent it from browning. So when we talk about it, you know, it's kind of like, let's prevent our insides from browning, if you will. <laughs> but, um, you know, your, your cruciferous vegetables, your fruits, the, those fresh produce, and I, fresh doesn't have to be fresh, fresh. It could be, you know, frozen vegetables. It could be, you know, if you're really financially strapped, honestly, I'd rather someone eat canned vegetables than garbage. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's what, what's accessible, but even that's going to have more nutritional value overall. So of flooding your body with those antioxidants from your diet is huge in preventing further uh, oxidative stress on the body. And honestly, healthy fats like your fish oils, they work similarly as well. Now, I need an answer to one problem I have with broccoli, which I said I love. And that is my wife will say to me, you've got broccoli breath. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say it gave you another problem. Well, it does produce that as well. Yes, (laughs) that would be gas, right? Uh, Oh, I don't know that there's a quick way around that. Maybe cooking it instead of eating it raw might be helpful for both of those issues. But um, it is a superfood. It is, you know, I 
<laughs> they talk a lot about kale and kale's great, but you know, broccoli is probably just as beneficial. <laughs> now you mentioned sweet potatoes earlier uh, as a beneficial uh, food. Uh, but of course, when you load it up with brown sugar, how beneficial is it? You're kind of missing the mark. Um, <laughs> although I'd still rather you have a butter and sweet potato, butter and brown sugar sweet potato than a piece of cake. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there is, it's not an absolute thing. It's not one or the other. You can find some middle ground. Uh, but obviously adding extra sugar is not going to help any sugar issues. If you have problems with your blood sugars, it's going to add empty calories, which is going to increase weight. And now we're back to negatively affecting our risk factors for cardiovascular disease, which directly impacts the brain. So Olivia Rahman, what do you recommend to your patients? Well, yeah, so we love to recommend the Mediterranean diet. Um, and then, you know, not just diet, but also exercise, physical activity, um, which I'm sure we'll get into, but that also is bringing, you know, blood to your brain and cardiovascular system as well. Now, as we think about this, uh, Amber, you have patients in their 70s, their 80s, their 90s. Some are sharp as a tack, some are not. You can have a patient who eats the same diet as another one, uh, but they're suffering from dementia. What are the differences? Can we find out what keeps some people mentally alert and others not? Well, genetics are going to play a big role. All right. It, you, obviously, some families have more heart disease, more cardiovascular disease, more um, just vascular disease in general. There's some genetic factors when you start talking about Alzheimer's, dementia. Uh, so if someone has some strong family history, they may be at higher risk sooner rather than later. So there are some factors that are out of our control, but those factors can be mitigated with lifestyle changes. So I do tell people all the time, like nutrition is 70 to 80% of the equation, but you know, just like Olivia said, exercise is a big part of this as well. And when I have, you know, we see mostly patients over the age of 65 in my office, um, very heavy Medicare population. And, you know, I had someone in my office last week, who's one of my, my centurions, she's a uh, hundred years old. And that woman, she does trouble getting around a little bit. She's got a walker, but she's sharp, sharp as a tack. And, but I'll tell you what, she was active up until even the last few years, Okay. She did her walking. Even if it was a couple blocks a day, you, she would tell me she was getting out and doing it. Um, you know, she was doing, uh, her medications exactly as she was directed. She would do mental fitness things to try and keep her brain active. And she doesn't smoke, which is a big factor. Now for those who used to smoke, but quit, can you recover and, uh, uh, fight off what the negatives of smoking were. I think asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> I think it depends on how far down that train you went. Um, I will say that the sooner you quit, the better off you're going to be. Uh, since we're talking specifically about effects on the vascular system, because we're talking about dementia, your blood pressure can improve within hours to days after quitting smoking. Okay. Your heart is less stressed within a week or two. Okay. There is huge differences that we see very quickly when you quit smoking on the cardiovascular system as a whole. Now, now Olivia, Olivia, what's important about that is for the person who says, Hey, look, 
you know, I'm 80 years old. I've been smoking for 25, 30 years. Why should I quit now? It won't make a difference. What I just heard Dr. Uh, Stephen say is, yes, it can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, we hear that now, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if it's not, it's not going to undo whatever plaque burden you have already, but it gives us a fighting chance to fight against it. It slows down progression so that we can get caught up. All right, stay with me just a minute. Uh, My friend, by the way, used to smoke three packs a day, but quit in 1976. You're listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, uh, along with our guest co-host today, nurse practitioner Olivia Rahman. Olivia is down in St. Petersburg, Florida. And our special guest is Dr. Amber Stevens. Dr. Stevens is at the Optum Main Clinic in Dunedin, Florida. Hey, you're listening to Docs in a Pod. Hi, it's Drew Pearson for my friends at WellMed. As a Hall of Famer, I love it when a quarterback and receiver have a great connection. You can be part of a great connection too. Connecting WellMed's high-quality healthcare with the highest-rated Medicare Advantage plan helps you focus on staying healthy. Call 210-436-6005 or visit wellmedhealthcare.com slash connect. Drew Pearson is a paid spokesperson. Other plans are accepted. For full enrollment details, visit medicare.gov. Thank you so much for sticking with us to, in, to Docs in a Pod today. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to us on a program that comes to you every week dealing with issues that affect both caregivers, caretakers, care recipients, and anyone who's 65 and older and younger as well. Our co-host today filling in for Dr. Tamika Perry is nurse practitioner Olivia Rahman down in uh, uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, and our special guest, Dr. Amber Stevens, Dr. Stevens is at the Optum Main Clinic in Dunedin, Florida. We're talking about brain boosters, way to keep that brain functioning. And Amber, I want to come back to something that everybody in America became aware of when a few weeks ago that the uh, uh, Chicago Bears back uh, fell, suffered cardiac arrest. Uh, a medical team had him oxygenated within they say 10 seconds of when he uh, suffered cardiac arrest. And I heard you mention earlier that the brain really needs oxygen. How long can we go without it? Well, it depends on how healthy you are from the get-go, okay? Uh, But the average person after 10 minutes without oxygen, that's pretty much the end of the story. You, you could go a little longer. Some of your elite athletes, people who have trained themselves in uh, breathing, like some of your free divers, they can go longer, but majority of people after 10 minutes, you're going to have some pretty serious repercussions from lack of oxygen. Now in Hamlin's case, they say they got him uh, resuscitated within 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. He's very, very blessed. (laughs) That would greatly minimize damage to the brain, I gather. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's always the priority you get. If you can initiate CPR immediately, you can give that oxygen to the brain fairly quickly, even if it's not your heart actually doing the work. If someone else is pumping for you, that, that's the whole purpose of CPR is to get that blood through the heart and up to the brain. As you think about brain boosters and tips for maintaining your brain health, 
Do we talk about that enough? Is it something that when you bring it up with patients is new to them? In regards to the kind of like information they get in general. Um, I think, I think in general, people tend to think more along the lines of supplements and vitamins. They aren't really thinking about, you know, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress mitigation. They're, they're not looking at lifestyle. I think they're really thinking along the lines of what's the next hot pill that I can take. That's going to keep my brain going. What's interesting. And and we hear this from uh, health practitioners all the time. You don't get a lot of training in nutrition in medical school. No, you do not. Mm-hmm. You not have about uh, an hour? I, uh, yeah, I think we got about, I, I joke and say, I think we got two days. They <laughs> basically told us that this is a carb, this is a fat, and this is a protein, and you need all three. Yep. And uh, they mentioned one major weight loss program that at the time had some of the best data. I would argue that's maybe not true anymore, but it's, it was enough that I made a point to go out and get extra education on my own so that, you know, now I actually do some coaching on the side specifically with nutrition and fitness, but it's, it, it makes a big difference in terms of counseling my patients, because now I feel like I can provide them with that information that's missing. That wasn't a part of my education, but is so integral to their overall health. And one of the challenges of uh, both Olivia and, and Amber that we all face we eat what we ate as kids for the most part. Mm-hmm. I grew up in a, a Jewish family in Cleveland, Ohio, heavy on meat and potatoes and bread. My mom and dad thought it wasn't dinner if there wasn't bread, butter, meat, potatoes, and, and occasionally one leaf of lettuce on the table. And so <laughs> you're trained in that kind of eating, are you not, Amber? Absolutely. I think, you know, I all of our families, everybody's got what they started with. And I think that how you were raised does affect your taste buds as well. There's things that depending on, you know, that, that neuroplasticity that happens when you're a child, you learn to eat certain foods at a young age. So, and, you know, if you want to move it to the next step, you know, that's why it's so important when we talk to families about their children's nutrition to help them pick good foods as young children, because that makes better changes as they get older. But, you know, culture's huge. Telling a patient who has been raised in a family where there was literally rice and beans on the table for every meal, or in your case, potatoes and bread, um, or, you know, I would, my husband's family's from the South. And when we first started dating, the idea of a vegetable was fried okra or veg all casserole, which is basically <laughs> mayonnaise and a can of veg all. So with rich crackers on top. So, you know, there's where you come from makes a big difference in terms of your taste buds. I, I think I was a little bit lucky in that respect. I grew up out West. And so we ate a lot of like rotisserie chickens and vegetables and salads. And so I had a little different upbringing, but it definitely makes a big difference. And I think it depends on how long ago that was too. You know, a lot of my patients are over 65 and their families, they were raised with the same thing, meat, potatoes, bread, you know, the vegetable may have been like cooked carrots with sugar. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, changing that um, paradigm is challenging. You say cook carrots and sugar, and I start to salivate. Mm. <laughs> I didn't it say it back, didn't taste good. <laughs> <laughs> brings back great memories. And then the other thing, of course, is you couldn't cook 
Uh, the Yiddish term is schmaltz. You couldn't cook without chicken schmaltz, chicken fat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and today that'll... that's a no-no. It wouldn't be my first choice. How receptive. I might still pick it over mar margarine. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. How receptive are your patients, uh, uh, Dr. Stevens, when you talk to them about nutrition, can you give them, uh, for example, recipes for meals that they ought to think about? Uh, well, because like you said, everyone comes with their own backgrounds and their own likes and dislikes. What I will often do is talk to them about meeting certain goals. I find most of my patients don't eat enough protein. They're for whatever reason, um, they're not eating enough vegetables. So, and then we talk about reasonable carbohydrate sources and then I'll ask them, okay, well, what kind of foods do you like? Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you to eat, you know, kale and salmon if you hate fish and kale like that makes no sense so tell me what kinds of things you enjoy eating and let's see how we can adjust it for what's long what's going to be a long-term plan because you can't do something for a week or two and expect to find benefits this is a this has to be a change this has to be a lifestyle change so how do you adjust bean and cheese tacos <laughs> We might use those more of like a treat once a week. We wouldn't do that every day. Uh, but you could, you know, you can find uh, taco shells that aren't as high in fat. You can find, uh, you know, you can do instead of doing refried beans, you could switch them to black beans. There's, there's some minor changes you can make that might keep the overall flavor similar with, uh, and then how you cook those foods is a big difference too, that it changes the fat profile and, you know, adding different seasonings may help cover. I don't want to say cover. That's not right. Cause it still tastes good. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you're used to that real, like kind of lard flavor in your food, people depend on fat or they depend on seasonings. They don't usually do both. So if you can kind of transition from fat to seasoning, that helps keep the flavor without all the extra that maybe they don't need. Now for a period of time, there was a lot of media attention to fat substitutes that weren't fat. Uh, and then it turns out uh, a lot of downside, like 24 seven diarrhea with those substitutes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's why I said, you know, I, I might pick the chicken fat over the margarine. Um, <laughs> What's wrong with margarine? Uh, well, it, it's got full of trans fats. So I would rather someone use a saturated fat like butter um, or ghee, then use something that's full of trans fats because your trans fats are a highly processed food. Your body doesn't really know how to deal with it. And it's incredibly associated with uh, increased plaque burden production. So we've, we've realized that's why you see a lot of things that say trans fat free now it's because they've realized that there's such a huge impact on cardiovascular health. They've, been trying to even just pull it out of our diet altogether, but as it's not illegal to eat it, so it's still on the shelves and you have to be educated. Now, before we run out of time, about a minute and a half left, uh, Olivia, when you recommend an exercise program for the couch potato, how do they start? What do you say to them? Oh, so yeah, this is one of the things I get a lot of pushback because some of my patients are, they have a hard time walking or getting mobile. So what I have patients start with is even just chair exercises, maybe some, you know, lifting arm lifts. You can hold some water bottles, moving your legs up and down, even just while you're sitting, getting that blood flowing down there. 
Um, and if you can, you know, work up your way to just take a walk right around the block, we're not asking anybody to run a half marathon, you know, tomorrow, but just as anything little you can do to just add is always going to be better than nothing. Now, speaking of adding, Amber, what would you add to that? Um, so I, I usually start with the same. I sell, okay, let's, well, so where are you at? What can we do? Instead of focusing on what we can't do, what can we do? Um, and maybe even before they go walk around the block tell them how many times can you walk around your home, mm-hmm. you know, and then think about what does that actually mean for walking around the block? And sometimes patients will sort of surprise themselves at how much mm-hmm. they're actually doing. Um, I also tend to have a strong focus on strength training majority of my patients because of their insurance actually have access to gym memberships, not because I want them to pump iron, like, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger or anything like that, but because strength training and muscle development does improve insulin sensitivity. Um, it helps improve cardiovascular profiles and in general prevent falls. So we kind of get a multiple benefits out of one exercise. Well, I really appreciate you spending time with us for those Uh, who want to hear more, just keep listening to Docs in a Pod. I'm Ron Aaron, delighted to have as our co-host today, Olivia Rahman, nurse practitioner, and a big thank you to Dr. Amber Stevens. You find her at the Optum Clinic in Dunedin, Maine, in Florida, Dunedin, Florida. Thank you very much. And Dr. Stevens, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Look forward to talking with you again. Again, this has been Docs in a Pod. We'll talk with you soon. Executive producers for Docs in a Pod are Dan Calderon and Leah Madrano. Our producer is Isaac Wilker, and associate producers are Natalie Ibarra and Maurice Hudson. Thank you for listening to Docs in a Pod, presented by WellMed. We welcome your emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. And be sure and tune in next week for another edition of Docs in a Pod with Dr. Tamika Perry and Ron Aaron.